0: My name is Christine Jennings, sponsored by Innova
1: Champion Discs, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers. You're listening to the Chain Clankers podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. What is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Chain Clankers Podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Ferris, here as always with Horatio Gonzalez. we got another great episode for you guys today. Hopefully, you enjoyed last episode where we sat down with Innova's own Thomas Gilbert. We're going to stay with Innova this week, and we're talking to Christine Jennings. She won Rookie of the Year last year when she started uh, on tour she's an up-and-comer in the sport she's a great conversation really great gal really loved our talk and I think there's a lot of value in this episode like in every single episode and I think you're going to learn a lot Horatio would you like to explain a little bit more of what the listeners can expect to learn in this conversation today
2: Yeah, this one was a lot of fun, especially if you're a new player or if you have a significant other that you maybe want to introduce to the sport and you're having a hard time maybe. Just some tips she talks about when she started out and some things to avoid. And then also maybe if you're in that stage of you're playing advanced tournaments or you're thinking about going pro or maybe going out to tournaments outside of your region and maybe touring a little bit but not quite full time, She's a great person to listen to because that's kind of where she's at right now. So this one's a little bit different, but a lot of fun. And I think you guys will enjoy it. Let's get to it.
1: Welcome into the Chain Clankers podcast. We're here sitting down with Christine Jennings, an incredible disc golfer, our first lady to come on the podcast. Super excited about that. So we're going to have a great discussion today. Christine, how are we doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you guys?
1: fantastic glad to have you on the podcast again um super excited for this discussion another innova player we our last episode we talked to thomas gilbert who's innova champion um are you just innova in general or are you a specific uh i know there's pro champion
0: i'm under so it goes star level champion level crew so i'm on the crew level so i'm under right under thomas
1: nice nice that's awesome that's awesome to hear yeah. love to hear that we'll we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that and that experience as we kind of get into the episode but I kind of want to just kick things off with you know how did you first get into disc golf you know what was your very first disc golf moment like was it just you know maybe you and a friend going out trying something new or you know how, how did that kind of come about
0: yeah uh, a guy that I was dating previously was playing and I had no idea what disc golf was it was really funny because I used to live like at a buy a park that had that I would go to that had disc golf baskets and I never thought about like oh what yeah. are those things and this guy had like a bag with discs in it and I he told me what he did and I'm like okay so uh, one day I decided that I was gonna go with him so I went with him and he like took his whole bag out of his truck and went and I was like whoa 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 like I thought you were gonna take one Like, you get to pick one, and you take it. And he's like, no, like, I take all of them. And I'm like, what? (laughs) So then he kind of, like, starts explaining a little bit. I'm like, I'm, like, super curious at this point. I want to know everything. And so he kind of, like, tells me how different discs do different things. And I'm like, what in the world? So then it just got me, like, naturally interested. And, you know, just I feel like a lot of girls have this where they want to play, but they don't want to, like, embarrass themselves in front of, like, all the guys that they're with. So I was one of them and I was pretty timid and, you know, I didn't really, I wanted to play, but I didn't want to play to embarrass myself. So it took me a little bit to actually throw a disc, but him and I went out um, like privately on our own and he started teaching me a couple things. And I just, I mean, just like every other, you know, person that started playing and throwing sky hyzers all over the place, but you get super interested and just start getting hooked.
2: What did that what did that turn into once you started kind of playing for fun? What was that journey like to where you are now, I guess? Like step by step so, kinda.
0: That was I probably threw my first disc very early of 2016. And I did it like very casually, but you know, he went out a lot, like a a lot, a couple few times a week, you know, for an average working person, you'd say. And so I went out with him, I started going with him more and more, and then we um, went to our local store, Hazy Shade, and that's uh, one of my sponsors, their disc golf store. So it took a few weeks, I think, for us to finally get to Hazy Shade, but we finally went to Hazy Shade and I bought my first disc and it was a Champion Valkyrie now thinking back at it, it was probably way too stable for me because it was like yeah. 170 weight and I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but that was one of my first discs. I love the DX Cheetah. That was like a hand-me-down that I got from someone and um, that just kind of like started evolving into me getting a couple of my own discs. And you know, they're expensive when you first start playing and you're like, oh, you know, I'll drop 60 bucks on three discs and we'll see where it goes. So it's yeah. kind of one of those evolving things. But of course, you know, the disc golf community is very giving. And so people just start giving me all these discs and things like that. And so I also caddied for him. He played a lot of AM tournaments. He was a, a decent advanced player. And I walked with him a lot, I went to tournaments with him. I went to BGMs with him and like walked and kind of caddied for him. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like you get to like play a tournament and it's super competitive. And I played um, 10 seasons of volleyball and I ran track and cross country when I was in high school. So I was already competitive in nature, kind of athletic and so it was very interesting to me, and I, I kind of wanted to get into that because I wasn't doing any sports at that time. I was, I don't know, a handful of years out of high school, and I wasn't really doing anything. So, I want to say, very soon after that, about the fall of 2016, the same year, I got my PGA number, and I was still in. The, I was in the 800,000, so I wasn't like in the hundred thousands yet, but I got my PGA number. I played my first tournament, I think around September of that year. And I played in wow. rec, I played three tournaments that year. And I was like, really, you know, very local, it, it was probably C tier or yeah. something sanctioned events. And I got my rating and I just remember like wanting to be 800 rated. Like I, at this point, I knew a good amount of like what PDGA was, what the ratings were and things like that. Cause he was very involved and I wanted to be very involved. So I had to like know everything. So I started catching on to that. And I think um, my very first rating was, like, very, very low 800s. It might have been, like, 811 or something. But I was just stoked that it was 800. And I'm like, like, woo, like, milestone. And it just kind of evolved from there. And I knew that, you know, he always went to these bigger events, like BGMs and stuff like that. And I kind of wanted to, you know, put our schedules together. Like, oh, like, now I want to go to BGMs. And so it evolved into that. And I think the next year I played – more i played maybe like 15 to 20 which is pretty oh, wow. good but we didn't travel like that much we played a whole bunch of local ones and traveled out to you know maybe a couple of the big ones like VGMs. and then that next year was when i knew i was like okay like i'm gonna gun it and i'm gonna like, go to all of these am events because at this point i feel like i had enough experience in the because yeah. i had moved out of rec after those first three tournaments so in 2017 oh, the nice. next year i just bumped to advance because I won all the rec tournaments and there isn't a lot of women in competition anyway. So I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm playing by myself in these local areas. Um, And so then when I travel, like, let's see how I do in advance. And so I went to BGMs and I, I think I took, I don't know, like five out of, I took fifth out of eight. So it wasn't like great, but it was downpouring the whole time. So I was like, okay, it's kind of hard to judge. And then we kept playing all these bigger events. And I think, I'm getting my years mixed up. I think it was 2017, 2018. We went to GBO and I won that. And then went to US Women's. I won that in advance. And I'm like, okay, like I'm doing well in advance. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so then the next step after that was kind of like, well, now, now what? Um, because, you know, it's one of those things where you you think about it and you're like, I want to be 800 rated and then you're 800 rated. And then you think like, oh, but I'm never going to be 900 rated. Like, the pros are 900 rated. And, like, you, you kind of, like, laugh about it, right, because you're talking about it. And it's, like, one of those things you want to do, but you might not really think that is feasible. And he was, like, no, like, you can really do it. You can really do it. And he really, like, talked me into it. So I just kept playing. I kept playing. And, I mean, I worked a normal job. I got off work at 430 every day. I went to the course until the sun went down. And literally, like, that's what I did for about a year. Um, And that's how I got pretty good um and my ratings started climbing and my confidence was boosted in these tournaments and so when i won gbo and then i won u.s women's i was like okay now i have to come up with like a better goal because i don't want to keep playing am like at this point i have way too much plastic already (laughs) i've only been playing like a year so then after that was when i decided that i wanted to go for rookie of the year in 2019 and that required traveling to more tournaments and like you know different tiered events get you different points on how many people you beat so i did all of that and i ended up getting rookie of the year in 2019 and as soon as um because i had i went to am worlds first and then i was gonna um, go for rookie of the year so that's kind of how the timeline went and so of course after i went to am worlds i moved up and then rookie of the year of course is your first year's pro so now i'm what second year as a full time, not full time, but you know, actual pro, I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that is truly an incredible story. And yeah. I also think it says a couple of things that, like, this doesn't have to be something you are doing for 10 years before you go pro. I mean, literally look at, like, a football player, baseball, basketball, you know what, yeah. you know, any of those guys or, or gals. It's literally one of those things where it's like, oh man, I've literally been doing it since I was five years old. I mean, you came onto mm-hmm. the scene, I'm pretty sure you said about four ish years after high school. And then, look at you now rookie of the year second year on the pro tour doing very well in my opinion on the pro tour in and of itself and something that i'd love for the listeners at home to just kind of understand about christine is that this gal has played in correct me if i'm wrong but according to the pdga website 90 career events and has 48 w's wins everyone that means over half the tournament she's entered in she has taken home that first place trophy so that's absolutely incredible and and one thing that I really wanted to touch on that you said at the beginning uh, was, you know, you were kind of timid and you didn't want people to watch. And now I, mm-hmm. I, I especially know this is how my girlfriend is for Asia. I know your wife is the same way as well in that. I mean, we would literally go to a course, be having a great time. And then a group of, as she would say, men are watching. I don't want Yeah. Yeah. so then we, we, I would just throw the whole, you know, we'd move on. It is. Yeah. What it is. And I I will ask another question kind of similar to this here in a second, but the one that I kind of wanted to get to more was, you know, how did you kind of get over that timidness? Was it just kind of, you know, Hey, I literally don't care where this disc goes. I don't care if you laugh at me, like I'm just out here having a good time. I'm trying to get better, you know, like, you know, I guess, what would you, you know, tell other girls or even guys who are, are scared or timid and, you know, maybe don't want to be laughed at, you know, what would you tell those people, you know, if you're in a situation like that, I guess. Mm -hmm.
0: So definitely start somewhere comfortable. So I guess more with your significant other, because that's what I did. Um, And then of course, when the guys play through or whatnot, um, just the more you think about somebody else watching you, that's another thing that you have to like, you know, you're already thinking about the 5 million things you have to do to throw the disc right. So yeah. now you're like, oh, somebody's watching me. And then like, you're focusing more on that than like what you're actually doing. And your shot ends up being terrible anyways. So instead of, you know, focusing on that, just try to focus more on what you're doing. And just in the long run, like as you're doing that and as you become better, it, the timidness turns into a confidence because now you're like, I'm going to show these guys that I can throw this this 250 feet. And, you know, not, not a lot of women can do that, especially like starting out. So once you, you know, you just got to get over it and um f- just focus on like i still play with a lot of women that are really timid around specific people or even in our ladies league you know new people come and they're kind of embarrassed or whatnot and you just gotta like ease them in you know of course you're to be like oh everyone yeah. started somewhere um but you, I don't, the more the more you focus on it i can just tell like when these people are focused on being embarrassed it just ends up being worse so just don't be embarrassed i know it's it, i know it's difficult and it's like hard to do but The more you get over that, you know, the easier your shots become and the better you'll become and the more confident you'll become.
2: I definitely agree with that. I would say it's easy to see as uh, someone who starts playing, doesn't feel very comfortable and as they start to get a more straight shot or as they start to get the line or flight that they intended to do. They get more confident and they kind of stop caring about it and start focusing on the game because they're having fun.
0: Exactly.
2: So it's really cool to see that. And so I would say that one thing for people that has – someone that they want to introduce to the game and they're maybe not confident to kind of just keep – not push them, but slowly kind of just take them out when they're comfortable. I would say pushing them if they don't feel comfortable is definitely the wrong move because they're not going to want to go out and play again, Mm -hmm. so – Say, yeah, there's yeah, a fine line swallow. as somebody
0: that, like, is trying to take someone out also, because I've seen, like, the really pushy people where, yeah. you know, they're, like, giving way too much information. Like, you have to hold the disc like this, throw it like this, do this and this and this. And then, like, the person just like, I'm just trying to throw a frisbee. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, there's, a, there's a fine line, you know, of course you want to, like as a disc golfer you want to naturally teach somebody all of these things that you know yeah. but again like you kind of have to just take a step back and just just let them have fun like let them have fun first and then they'll naturally want to get better so
1: yeah i think that's a I really was... good piece of advice horatio would yeah. you like to talk about that more i would say for all the guys
2: listening probably who love to explain things yeah that's probably <laughs> a really <laughs> really good one to listen to especially if you're taking out a sister or significant other, or other who don't feel as comfortable definitely telling them what to do isn't always the best just like you said let them have fun and then mm-hmm. it's better when they ask you for help and then you can give that advice to them yeah. but
0: yeah
1: they're more receptive it to them. it because they yeah. want to
0: know rather yeah. than you just attacking them with information they're like whoa
1: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe also something is, you know, I know at least in my situation with my girlfriend, you know, I tried to take her out when I first started playing like three years ago. And then I kind of just haven't picked it up again until COVID season. But, you know, those couple years ago when we would try to go out or I tried to take her out, I felt as though, you know, especially after hearing this, I was trying to force it too much. I just didn't let it happen. And then kind of once COVID and all that hit and, you know, that was really the only thing to go outside and be able to do uh, it it definitely, you know, she wanted to get involved in it. She wanted to go out. She Mm -hmm. wanted to learn how discs flew. So I I think like also not trying to push, you know, even if it's a, if it's a friend, spouse, sister, like you said, Horatio, don't try to, push them like, Hey, you have to do this. You have to learn all these things through all these discs. like, you know, kind of give them that opportunity to kind of fall in love with the sport themselves. And I, I think you'll see a lot more people really love the sport and a lot more people playing the sport. Um, And, you know, kind of as I want to, I guess, kind of continue this because I know myself and Horatio, we've both tried to get our significant others to play in tournaments. So I guess let's talk a little bit about your first tournament and, you know, I guess what kind of was that deciding factor to, you know, make you actually like okay yep I'm doing this tournament this is going to happen you know were you on a card with other ladies were you able to play with your significant other you know what what kind of was going through your mind what were your emotions that morning you know oh my gosh am I actually going to do this I guess kind of kind of take the listeners through that yeah so
0: I so I have already been to tournaments but I wasn't playing in them right because I was walking with my significant other at the time and so i kind of knew like i had had a feel for how tournaments ran especially going to bgms so that's one of the biggest tournaments ever held so you know i had the, the big taste of that and then i've also been to like the smaller local ones and everyone's super friendly like at this point i've kind of like become very friendly with a lot of the locals so like i kind of saw familiar faces because my first couple tournaments was local so um, when I got, I mean, obviously when I got my PBGA number, I knew that I was eventually going to start playing tournaments. And I think it was a couple months yeah. after that where, you know, we were just waiting for a tournament to pop up. And so then, you know, we signed up for one and, um, he was also playing the same tournament. And so I was like, you know, he wasn't there with me when I was playing, you know, I was on my own, like, here I go. Yeah. But at the point, you know, watching him and kind of like, you know, I wanted to know everything. So I like, I had already read the rule book. I think I was already certified. Like I'd done all of that already. So I was just kind of like ready, but very nervous. And so um, I knew that I had like worked on my putting a lot. That was one of my favorite things to do. And I was really good at putting. And so my very first tournament, I ran everything. <laughs> it is <was> terrible. <laughs> so, you know, be, playing disc golf, you have to be smart and every stroke counts. And so I went to this tournament. I was very nervous, just like anybody else would. I did play with women. I played with a couple other local women in this area. Um, I don't think I had met them. So very friendly, like super cool card to play with. And I got to see, you know, how I compared to other people because that's kind of like what the tournament is about. Granted, like you could see and play with other people in your area anyways, but that's kind of like, you know, when the tournament time comes, like how do you compare? So I had never played with a lot of women until then. So I go to the tournament and we start playing and I'm like, I'm probably only throwing like 240 feet at this point. And I wasn't being outdriven, but I wasn't also outdriving them. So we were all very similar in, in driving. And I'm like, okay. But then when it came to your short game, I was beating them in the short game. Because again, like I was practicing putting all the time. So where you see um, like the score separation in wreck women is upshots and putting. Because you see yeah. a lot of women miss from like 10 feet. And I had, like, I had those dials because I was practicing putting all the time. Um, And so I, like, felt really confident knowing, like, oh, like, that's where the scoring separation is. Like, I don't have to throw 350 feet to be able to, like, beat these people. It's all the short game. Like, that's how the women's competitive side is. And so um, then I was getting a little overconfident, and I started, like, running the 40-footers and the 50-footers because I'm like, oh, it's, like, right there well then you know you miss it because it's like a tournament <laughs> and once you miss it you're i'm i have a spin putter so i'm flying past it and i have like a 30 foot comebacker. and i'm like oh no like what did i do but i kept doing it because i'm like i'm gonna yeah. a 40 footer again i'm gonna get this one like i didn't get the last one <laughs> well then like i just kept kind of like going back and forth and that's when i like started realizing you know like that's You have to make mistakes to learn so that was kind of my mistake that i made of you know you don't run everything you kind of have to be smart or you know give half bids or whatever it is and it was very interesting (laughs) i learned a lot from my first tournament and it was really fun
2: i would say that that's definitely like a newbie person doing tournaments thing to do is like be maybe a little overconfident in yourself like feeling good and you do shots that you don't need to do that you're not really, you shouldn't be doing and then you mess up and that's the way you learn. I know Mm -hmm. we're kind of to a point right now where we're like, we're doing tournaments and sometimes we go out and we play terrible and it feels like we're just wasting money. Like we're paying money to just play bad and it sucks. But then afterwards, the next day or a few days later after the tournament, I, I feel like I am a better player for some reason. Mm -hmm. Like my shots are a little better or I have a different idea of what to do when I'm throwing. So I guess what's one thing with tournaments, like do you think you have to be competitive in order to sign up for these tournaments, Um, have that side to want to win, I guess, or do you think they're good even, even though you're not going to win or even though you're not going to do great to do tournaments, sign up for them to help you learn quicker.
0: There's, I've learned two types of people. There's the the people that want to continue to succeed and continue to be better. And those are usually the ones that end up going pro. So myself, I wasn't ever going to be okay. With, I'm a naturally competitive person. So I wasn't okay with just throwing 240 feet for the rest of my life and yeah. throwing Spike spikeizers all over the place. You know, I wanted to get better and I wanted to know what I was doing. And so, you know, there's people that are like me and they just want to keep getting better and they'll keep pushing. And so that's all these new people that are coming into the MPO and FPO field. But then there are the local people that are totally content with where they're at. they like to play leagues. They like to drink while they're playing. And that's totally fine. They're totally casual about it. Yeah. And they are not ones that are ever going to go to the pro tour or they're not going to, you know, want to go to these bigger events and, so I think it's just kind of like you you have to know what you want and know where, like how you're going to do with where you're at, if that makes sense. So like you're going to spend a boatload yeah. of money at BGMs, but you might have to be okay with not coming home with anything except for the sweet players pack that you're going to get. And that's right. what happened to me. Like I took fifth out of eight. I didn't ca- I didn't cash, but like I got a lot of experience out of it. And so that's just kind of like where you have to draw that fine line and a lot of people fall into the casual local tournaments and they're totally fine with just playing C tiers and B tiers and even that gives you I think a lot of um, like mental and just like overall knowledge of how to play better because when you're playing casually, not in a tournament, you're taking your shots for granted or or you like you'll miss the first putt and you'll be like oh like I got the next one and you just like double putt you know. And like, you don't do that in a tournament, like every shot literally counts. And so then you start kind of analyzing things more. And I think it does make you a better player. But you just have to like know, you know, where your expectations are, especially financially, if you know that you're not gonna, you know, do very well, maybe.
1: Yeah. I really like that kind of last comment that you made also about the, the analyzing the different shots and stuff like that, because uh, a lot of the AMs that, you know, we've kind of talked to and and just, you know, out on the course or in tournaments, you know, there's a good number of them who are like, I just kind of just randomly throw it and hope for the best. Um, And I definitely know this last tournament that Horatio and I played our round one and round two, that was pretty tough. Okay. We did not, did not do well. Um, we had some, We had we had a we had a bad person to play with on our card, um, and it really, honestly, just drained the absolute life out of me. It turned into a political discussion, and <laughs> instead of focusing on on the golf, I was focusing on trolling yeah. this guy. <laughs> Um, and so like oh, no. it, it turned into a complete nightmare. It was a hundred degrees. I was hot and I was just like, okay, I'm just going to focus on trolling this guy. And I, it didn't go well, but then the next day, you know, came back and, and I feel as so, you know, p- being able to play the course a second time and come back the next day, it really did allow for mm-hmm. more of that analyzing of the shots and i mean i think it was like a 10 stroke difference or something like that so that was really good but kind of where i guess i'm going with this tangent is a have you ever been playing and had any terrible card mates and how has that affected your own game and maybe some ways to you know just get those folk out of your head and b you know what I guess kind of things are you looking at when you're analyzing a throw are you going through all the different possible discs you could throw there are you going through maybe the different kind of shot selections you know kind of what what's going through your head when you're kind of thinking about what throw to make
0: um so going back to your first question of have I ever played with anybody so terrible um uh, luckily no (laughs) I've heard a lot of horror stories of people that have like played with I don't know, like, rural Nazis or people that just, like, want to complain about everything. Um, luckily, yeah. I've not been. I have played with some people that I've heard that are like that. But I try to be very easygoing. Like, I, I think I've called a foot fault once. But, you know, like, I'm not going to sit there and call you on every little tedious thing. I'm going to let you do you. And I also try to be, like, very chill on the card. Like, I'll talk to you you can talk to me. I'm not going to be rude to you. I might be throwing bad and be quiet, but you know, like nothing towards you. And like, I make that known to the people that I'm playing with. And so I feel like that helps the mood of everyone else and like how they feel about me. No, that's what I like to think anyways, (laughs) because I don't like dislike anybody and I would hope the same for me, but I just try to keep like good, good spirits on the card. And no, none, none of that negative stuff. I've, I've never told
2: anybody. Well, that's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, it, I mean, this man was one of those guys who was like, oh, look at those idiots with their masks on playing disc golf. I was like, guy, come on. This, this is not the place. Aww. And then he took that and decided he was going to get all super political about it. And so then anything he would oh say was gosh. like, I'm just going to say the complete opposite and just mess with this guy. I mean, he did throw worse. So I guess that was a W, but so I just should have focused on myself. <laughs>
0: You did affect him. That's funny. I, I feel like a, more of that happens in AMS. And yeah. I'm not trying to say that like in any other way, but a factual way, um, because a lot of AMS are always trying to call rules for some reason. And like you'll, it's like me progressing and like playing in the professional field. Yes, like you have to be calling the rules. You have to, you know, for the integ- integrity of the sport. However, like, you don't have to call stupid stuff. And I feel like that's what Ams try to do is they call stupid stuff. Or, like, you know, you might have, like, your toe must have, like, just nicked the mini or something like that, but you want to call it football. Like, is it – did he really get an advantage from that? You know, like, you just have to kind of analyze those things. And I don't know. I hear a lot of funny stories from Ams. (laughs) Well, I think because, like,
2: advanced players are more, once you move into the pro level, they realize that uh, they're not really playing. It doesn't matter who's on their card. They're not focused on the other players they're focused on themselves and if that person is doing a football or whatever like their game or is probably messed up in other areas they're going to focus on what they're doing how their game is and they're not going to waste their mental space on someone else
0: yeah ams are like too focused on like what everyone else is doing and then like once you kind of get out of that and focus on you that's when yeah for sure your game gets better
1: Yeah. And I also think like uh, real quick before we get to the other part of the question, like even like watching Mm -hmm. the pro tour and like, you know, I feel as so though maybe sometimes on that AM level, if there's a disc that's kind of close to OB, you know, not, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. You'll see a lot of the AMs be like, Nope, that's OB. I'm getting the stroke on this guy. I'm you know what I mean? Where, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think Kevin Jones is an incredible example of somebody who's like, if he can call it in, he's going to call it in for you, yeah. no matter what, like he'll see like <laughs> yeah, this much sure. of the disc in balance. And he's like, Nope, that's definitely in, or, you know, I yeah. feel like a lot more, yeah. the higher you get, it's like, it literally doesn't matter. Like if it's in, It's in. Let's let's just keep playing. I don't need you to throw OB for me to win this tournament Right, exactly. Yeah, you're not. Like, like,
0: we're there together, but we're just playing together and like officiating each other, right? We're not there to like bite at each other. We're just playing together. So, yeah, exactly. That's a good point
1: yeah that's awesome and then the second part of that question before we move on sorry sorry that was a long discussion i i know i definitely know that people at home will want to uh, kind of hear this um what is it about the analyzation of the shots but be- you know before you actually release the disc you know what are you thinking when it comes to disc selection what are you thinking mm-hmm. when it comes to okay am i going to throw a hyzer here should i throw a forearm mm-hmm. shot here you know what you know should i what are you looking for also you know are you looking at a point in the sky is it you know maybe like a tree or something like that you know i mm-hmm. guess kind of just a little bit of a discussion about how you analyze your shot before you let it go i guess
0: yeah um so starting like at the t-pad um let's use like a 350 foot backhand hyzer for example i'm a right handed person i only throw like 320 feet max distance like full flex so if i'm throwing like a straight shot in the woods it's probably only going like 300 feet because i can't get that full flex so if we were like in a narrow like 350 foot backhand hyzer a lot of people like will want to throw i don't know let's say destroyer like the destroyer is going to go straight to fade so i'm going to throw my destroyer because it's going to go straight and fade just like the hole straight and fades but really you're not going to throw the disc 350 feet so now you're going to like dump your hyzer probably like 270 feet into the left side yeah. of the fairway and now you're going to have like this weird like angle that you have to hit so instead of throwing the shot for how you think the hole plays you have to like break down how you play so me knowing that I don't throw 350 feet, I'm going to throw something as straight as possible. So I might throw like a mid-range or, you know, a flippier disc or something to throw it as far as I can safely. And then I probably will throw it 270 feet safely. Then I have, you know, another 120 or so feet um, to get it to the basket. And so then I'll just break it down from there. now I have like a putter hyzer or, you know, a mid-range hyzer or whatever it is. And so a lot of people always mistake that. And same thing with, uh, I see a lot more people do it forehands Like, oh, it's a 420 foot forehand shot. I'm going to throw a forehand off the tee. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Like you can throw a backhand and then like throw a forehand. And so just like analyzing and, and knowing like what your game is. And I always tell people, take your highest percentage shot. So you were asking, you know, like, how do I make a backhand or forehand decision? I just started throwing forehands pretty consistently, like over the past six months. And I can probably only t- throw it like 250 foot at best. And if I ever like come to a hole where I could throw a backhand, I'm probably gonna throw the backhand just because the backhand is what I'm more comfortable with. And that's gonna be my highest percentage because I could miss the forehand, um, I could miss the line. And so it's just, you have to know your game. And I think that's kind of like how you become elevated and how you play is because you have, to, you have to do the field work to know like what you're just to do in different situations. So yeah. when I get to a, a lie, um, there's like a good example. I was just in Pittsburgh playing Moraine State Park. I, I don't like to throw forehands in the woods because I just learned how to throw them. But there was a shot where it's like, it's literally a 90 degree bend and it was like 220 feet. And I'm like, I, you can't really throw a putter because you have to throw the putter really high, like on an Anheuser. And I'm like, okay, like I have to throw a forehand. Like I just have to do it. Um, but it's like, at that point, What's the disc that's going to go right when I throw it? Because it has to bend. So at this point, I'm like, okay, it's only going to be my Gator or my Destroyer, like my two most stable discs that I have. And probably going to be a Destroyer because my Gator is not going to go that far. So, you know, just knowing your discs and then, like, knowing when to throw those. Like, I'm not sitting here like, I'm going to – I could throw – the sidewinder on like a really flippy forehand you know like I'm not sitting here analyzing five different discs I kind of know like what disc I need to do you know I'm bouncing between a couple rather than like my whole bag Um, and then you you just gotta I usually aim at something in the distance more than closer to you so if it's like a straighter shot in the fairway pick a tree which is funny because you'll hear people say like oh I aimed at that tree and then like you actually hit it But like aim at a tree like farther in the distance where you're like i'm gonna throw my destroyer flat at that tree and before it gets there it should heiser out and like go down the fairway you know like aim at something in the distance
2: i think that's a good point you made about the discs and doing the field work because i think a lot of times people like to go out and practice and maybe not. they don't get the best idea of what their discs are going to do on a course because you're trying to throw it a certain way every time if you get to a hole. You're like, Mm -hmm. well, it worked this time at this hole throwing it this way and whatever the conditions were that day. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you go out in a field that's completely open and you throw that disc five, ten times and see what it does seven Mm -hmm. out of those ten times, depending if you throw it the same. so. Mm -hmm. How much, I would say, how much field work do you do or how much field work, do you still do field work to where you're comfortable Mm -hmm. learning a disc or what does that look like for you?
0: I don't get to practice as much as I would like to nowadays um, because I started school again, but I do still go out and like putt and um, Bart and I will go out into the field just to test new discs. Um, You know, sometimes we lose discs. Like if I lost a sidewinder, I have to find a replacement sidewinder. So then, you know, I have many backups. So you take... You know, you take the backups and kind of like start learning the new ones again and figure out which one you're going to put in your bag. Um, other days, I'll just take my bags and throw them across the field. I'll dump my bag out this way. I'll bring it back this yeah. way. You know, just kind of keep going back and forth into the field. Um, some discs, like, I only throw on forehand. So, like, I have a really beefy destroyer that's I'm only going to use it for forehand because I kind of want it to just dump, like, for an emergency yeah. hyzer. Um, similar with the gator, I probably won't throw a gator backhand. Um, I could probably manipulate something else to do that. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm practicing those shorter forehands and it, practicing those little chip shots here and there, like gives you the confidence to do it in a tournament. Um, and then, you know, I'm still working on the distance shots with forehand. So I probably wouldn't throw those in a tournament because I could probably throw back in instead. But that like kind of build your confidence. And that's why I'm able to start throwing forehands now because I'm when I'm throwing these discs back and forth up and down the field, I'll take the Gator and the Destroyer and like throw those on forehand. And then I'll like mess with a couple other flippy discs and like throw them on forehand. So just kind of like those stupid little shots that you throw for fun, yeah. um, you know, kind of turn into like muscle memory or more confidence that you that you get boosted. Um, and like something else that I wanted to piggyback on that, the highest percentage shot thing Um, where you were saying people will throw that disc because it worked on that hole. So if you're like at a 300-foot hole and you threw a sidewinder and it like flipped up and like did this whole thing and it parked it. So then they keep going and like they keep throwing this disc because that disc worked. Well, like a sidewinder is this really flippy disc. And so now you're going into this field at the 300-foot hole with headwind and the sidewinder flips. And then you're like, well, what happened? Because, yeah. you know, you're always throwing this disc. But, like, now you – because you don't know how that disc reacts in the wind. So now maybe, you know, for highest percentage, like, in a tournament, that's a situation where if it's wide open, I would almost always throw something stable on a hyzer over throwing, like, something that flips up and, like, yeah. has to do this whole, like, thing to get to the basket. So that's a something that I feel like a lot of people get tripped up on.
1: All right, guys. I want to go ahead and interrupt today's show real quick. I want to announce the winner of our most recent contest over on Instagram. We were giving away a Eagle McMahon Cloudbreaker 2.0, an exciting disc, an exciting launch, and we were able to get our hands on one, and we are giving one away. And we want to announce the winner today right now. Congratulations to Colin underscore Beasley, underscore my man, you are the lucky winner of this disc. It will be a fantastic addition to your bag. Again, that is Colin, underscore Beasley, underscore. Make sure you do go ahead and DM us on Instagram, and we will get all the logistics sorted out for you, man, and we will get that disc sent over as soon as possible. Thank you again to everyone who partaked in this contest and be on the lookout because we do have plenty of more contests coming up. Let's go ahead. Let's get back to the episode. Nice. Okay. So we got two more questions before we get into our ACE round. Um, and we'll kind of try to make them a little bit quicker. The first one is talk a little bit about your sponsorships being with Innova. You know, I know the listeners love to hear how it happens, how fast it happened for you. Um, so kind of talk about that experience and what it's been like so far being on Team Innova.
0: So Innova happened. Ooh, I told you I'm really bad with years. I think it happened in 2017. This is my third year. Yeah. So I got sponsored by Team Hazy Shade first. So Hazy Shade was that local disc golf shop. And I went in there and I got sponsored by them um, the first like full year that I started playing. Um, very thankful for them. And so then being on that team kind of like helped me um, get more involved because I felt more comfortable with the team. And so we would do team outings or, you know, go play team fundraisers or stuff like that so we were just kind of like getting acclimated and so then I would become more involved in the ladies league and then play like other leagues and so I was just getting more comfortable and that was like a really good foot in the door for me to like be more friendly with the community and so that gave me the confidence and kind of a good background to go to Innova and say hey like I'm doing all these things for the community I'm really involved also you know I'm really wanting to start playing all of these tournaments what's up <laughs> so they came back um earlier that year I think it was like February of 2017 um, and I got sponsored and that was really I guess like nerve-wracking and exciting at the same time because Jonathan Poole called me and Jonathan Poole's the team manager and I knew that and I was like oh my god Jonathan Poole's calling me like what do I say I have to be fair it's like a job interview yeah, <laughs> yeah. but he's like this really chill guy and like super relaxed, and you know just kind of asking like what my aspirations and my goals are so I talked to him about that and um, I don't want to say like a couple of weeks after that it was when I got an email and got the contract and I'm like I'm on Team Unova, and it was so cool um, you know they give you this order sheet where I can like order my allotment discs and so I got my first allotment and like they had the little team wings on them and like that was the most exciting thing ever
1: that's <laughs> and awesome.
0: so yeah that's that was like the start of how I got sponsored.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. That's really awesome. Love hearing that. And I think it's coming from the right place first. It's coming from a place of, I want to help the community. I want to grow the disc golf community, you know, look at what I've done to help build the community, not just give me free discs, give me free money, you know, those kinds of things. So I I think that's really good. And then the final question we've got before we get into the ACE round is let's talk about your YouTube channel a little bit. Um, We've seen you put out a little bit of content And not, not so much recently, but that that's perfectly fine. So (laughs) let's talk a little bit about it. What I guess kind of ideas do you have for that channel going forward? Where can people subscribe to you over at it? You know what? And also like just coming up with disc golf content in the first place, like what, I guess, Mm -hmm. does it take to come up with the content for your videos? You know, do you sit down with your significant other now and just have those, you know, I guess, kind of discussions of like, Hey, maybe these are some videos that we should try to do Mm -hmm. or, you know, I guess kind of, kind of take us through that process.
0: Yeah. Um, for myself, I started content with Instagram. Um, and so that, that was just kind of generally, I'm going to throw this shot hey friend like can you record me real quick i it started kind of with like a form check i just wanted to check my form but then i started posting like my um not my results kind of like my progress and people started following me and so i'm like oh okay like i'm gonna keep posting and so that's kind of how like that started and then people start asking questions and that's where the content idea came from for youtube because a lot of people ask the same questions especially me being a female people are like, you know, how do I get my girlfriend involved? Or what discs should I get my girlfriend to throw? And that's, I think, one of my very first videos is how to get like a beginner's guide or how to get your girlfriend to start playing disc golf. Um, And I talked about that kind of stuff and touched on like the first things that we said where we're like, don't push your girlfriend too hard. Um, (laughs) And then um, that kind of just came with more like, it just keeps rolling into each other. So that video came with questions on now what discs should my girlfriend throw? So then I made a video of disc selection for beginners and women. And then people are like, "Oh, how do you get rid of tournament jitters?" So then like I made a tournament video. So it's a lot of like, just feedback rather than me yeah. coming up with ideas. Um, but then when we get bored, you know, Bart and I will make couples videos. There's a couple of those out there. So just for fun, um, we'll go out and just make you know, oh, like let's do some. Some ideas are taken from other couples or other disc golf channels. Um, like challenges and whatnot. But then we were quarantined. So we went to Hazy Shade and got one of those Innova mini baskets and like did the mini um, tournament or the mini round in our apartment. So that was really funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's but awesome. Yeah, They're good videos. I enjoyed very them. We spontaneous. A of them. I really liked <laughs> oh, thank them. You. Um, Definitely on the road to 2K subs over there. So if you're listening and you and you like some of that content, you've liked this discussion. Definitely go over there, and check it out. Uh, we also noticed that your Instagram's nearing 18K, so that's awesome. Congratulations mm-hmm. on that one. That's really Thank exciting. Uh, but let's go ahead. Let's get into the Ace round now. So these are the same five questions that we want to ask every single person we interviewed. So that way our listeners can kind of compare and contrast. You know what every single person thinks about you know these certain questions so the first question that we have is you're bringing someone who's brand new to disc golf what are the three discs that you would tell them to get or start playing with you know what's the one putter what's the one mid-range and what's the one driver that a brand new player should start out with
0: i'd say a max weight dx avr i say max weight because I don't believe in anything else <laughs> for a putter. Um, a Wombat 3 for mid range. This is the most glidey, um, understable range that you could throw, and it's really good for shot shaping. And then a sidewinder, um, just for, like, that extra distance, but, you know, it's not crazy stupid like a destroyer because nobody wants to start with a destroyer.
2: <laughs> okay, cool. Question number two, favorite course you have played – or the course that's on your number one that you would love to play, or both?
0: My favorite course that I've played would be WR Jackson. So that's where the Hall of Fame National Tour finale was in the past couple of years. It's not going to be there this year, but um, it's it's uh, like really mature woods golf. It's not like little tiny twiggy trees that you have to maneuver around. It's like really manicured fairways and these like large trees around you. So. You know, like you have fairway to work with, but you definitely don't want to kick into the rough kind of. Thing. Yeah. It's really, really clean. Um, with golf, I really like that. Um, I really want to go to MVP just because the course always looks super cool when I watch it on coverage. I haven't been out there yet.
1: Nice. Can't wait to see you out there. That's going to be super exciting. Our third question is, mm-hmm. if you could go back to, you know, when you very first started playing disc golf, what is the number one tip you would have told yourself?
0: to throw neutral and understable plastic don't throw a destroyer
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would say yeah i love that answer i think when i started playing i just accidentally picked up like some really overstable stuff and it was kind of frustrating and then once i kind of started learning and then i picked up some more understable it was definitely a confidence booster because they go farther they go more straight so (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah yeah everyone goes through that
2: question number four your favorite memory playing disc golf
0: my favorite memory was winning u.s women's in 2017 in advance um there was like four courses that we played one was the first one was very uh easier i guess the the next two were very wooded and i specifically remember that on like hole 16 of the third round this girl that was competing with me had taken an eight, and I took like a three or four. And so I gained like that many strokes on her on that hole. And that gave me like an eight stroke advantage going into the final round. And the final round was on a ball golf course. So I was like hyped up. And I'm like, you can't screw it up on a ball golf course. And I'd won the US uh, Women's Championships. And I was like, whoa,
1: that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Definitely love going into that final round with a lead knowing like, it's in the bag. Uh, This is a locked and loaded thing. I imagine Ricky Wysocki, you definitely was feeling that at the ledge stone with uh, being up. I want to say he was eight or something like that when it, whenever he won, but nonetheless that feeling of it's in the bag, it it, it feels incredible. (laughs) Um, So our final question we have for the interview is what is your goal moving forward in disc golf?
0: I think to continue to compete, but not full-time until it pays more or maybe it might not pay more um, within my decade or my timeline. Um, And I'm okay with that. You know, I, I work full-time and I have benefits and I have, you know, a retirement account and things like that. And I have other goals. Um, I like to work out. I'm into fitness, you know, I'm going to college again and things like that. So, you know, if all else fails, like I have backup options and, and I'm okay with that. I know there's some people that are out there that, are on the road full-time and and they're doing that and that's totally cool with them but i kind of like having different things that i have going on and yeah i'm um, just kind of hitting different goals throughout my life so yeah. what about
2: just for your personal game what are some goals you have there just in disc golf personal in general.
0: game um I I need to fix my form eventually. It's like one of those things that I haven't fixed because it's working, but it could get better for me to throw better or to throw farther. Um, So definitely like working on my form and then kind of perfecting my putt a little bit more. I've been having issues with that recently
1: okay nice nice i think those are some great goals i loved our discussion today hopefully everyone at home listening loved the discussion as well christian we'd love to have you on again sometime uh, i thought i not know i definitely learned a lot hopefully you had a good time as well we appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, yeah. do you have any final so words much. or anything else you want to say before we get out of here yeah this is your time
0: i yeah i just want to thank you guys for having me here i I love the video podcast since i've never done that before um and then always thank you to my sponsors um and Hazy Shade for hooking me up with all the, the sweetest plastic. Rickaroons, um, their coconut energy bar. They're great. Um, Savage Apparel for keeping me looking good on the course. That's one of their shirts, by the way. Um, and night. Perfect Cut 360, which I need to use more to get better at putting.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.